Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Cobiello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I'm Deb Cobiello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode of this amazing podcast where I find leaders who have amazing insights, and I hope that they will inspire you. And I do ask if you love this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, because we want to bring this to as many people as possible and continue to bring you great programming. And just know, I am here. The podcast is here for you to help the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, I have the good fortune of finding Charles Argumanes. He is educated at Texas A&M and Emory Aeronautical University. He has done military service 23 years in the Army and has had multiple career opportunities in the area of aeronautics, ultimately leading to his current role as chief pilot at Marigrass Inc. I am thrilled to have him here. He is full of so many insights to shed on leaders of today and tomorrow. I had to bring him on the show. Charles, it is my honor to have you on the Drop-In CEO podcast. Thank you very much, Deb. It's a pleasure to be here. After listening to that intro, I want to listen to me too. <laughs> oh, but you're amazing. I, I thought of myself that great, but I really enjoyed speaking with you over the phone. So I'm very happy to be here. You are a humble leader because as to my listeners, as we get into this conversation, he has his own as well as other leadership insights that he has adopted over the years. And they have been his formula for success and possibly failures for which he's learned for. And I just wanted to bring all of these forward to my audience because I was inspired by our conversation and I know you will as well. But I just wanted to quickly get into this a little bit. Military service, what drew you into military service? Again, thank you for that. My son is in the Army as well. What drew you to that profession before transitioning into the world of being a pilot? Oh, man, it was, you know, family. You know, I had my grandfather you know, who adopted me, by the way, early on in my life. We were at a point that needed rescue, my brother and I, and grandparents showed up, adopted us. and. Joe Meeks is his name, and I, I love the man, and he was one of the greatest influences in my life. And I listened to his stories and about being in World War II. Of course, he wasn't in for very long. He was, he was discharged after the war ended up, and he left Germany and came back to the States. But we heard a few of the stories. He was very humble and, and didn't go into great detail about it, but it inspired me to serve one day. So eventually, I took up my banner and I raised my right hand and I enlisted in the United States Army. These stories, these ignition points, these things that inspire us, we need to look at our children, our family, and sometimes significant events make a difference. I will share with you that my son, David, he is in the Army now in Germany. And I distinctly remember, first of all, in Cub Scouts, he always wanted to dress up in military fatigue. He was always of that military mindset. And then fast forward, we took a trip to Florida and they had helicopter experiences. And he was already starting to take pilot lessons 
And he sat in the cockpit with the instructor and then they handed the reins to him. And he said it was the most influential experience. It was the most awkward and scary experience. But then at that moment, he said, I want to be a pilot someday. So he started that process. He paused it, but he's actually going back to it as well. So these experiences we provide the youth of tomorrow, you never know where they may actually land. Awesome. Just talking about your son wanting to be a pilot. That was the most fun that I had in the military was being a pilot. And I got to fly helicopters and I got to fly airplanes. And I don't want to scare you any, but they, they talk about the dangers of aviation and what we've got to be wary of. You know, when you start a helicopter, and as soon as you start that thing up, it wants to crash. That's just the way they are. But they're very safe. And you know, we've got professional instructors that are teaching you the ins and outs of aviation, how to fly the aircraft and how to do it uh, safely, effectively, and to perform a mission that's absolutely required. I I love my time flying helicopters. So let me ask, because this conversation, while we may go into your career and what have you learned, I want to learn about your industry a little bit. So you shared with me before we jumped on here, the challenges of the aviation industry, whether it's in the past or now, I'd love to learn more about what those are, just to educate myself and the audience. Well, one thing that's happened, especially over COVID, the world shut down and we we didn't know what's going to happen next. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? The airlines, you were flying on empty 737s, A320s, you know, maybe five or six passengers on the airplane. Wow, what happened to travel? Where did it go? Well, and at that time, I was working for Wheels Up, which is in the private aviation industry. So small jets, turboprops, one to eight passengers on any given airplane. But that industry boomed. All of a sudden, just demand was through the ceiling. And we were trying to get as many airplanes as we could out there, get as many crews available to meet this super high demand. And of course, now, as we're getting into this boom in private aviation, the airlines start experiencing a comeback and you got more travelers starting to get out in the airlines. And during this whole process, we have another problem that we've known about for years, which is all these retirements that were coming up. Pilots can only fly to the age of 65 in the Part 121 community, which is the rules or the regulation that you know, United, Southwest, America may fly under Part 121, whereas the private industry flies under 135 or 91. Going forward, we knew that that demand was increasing on both the private side and coming back on the commercial side in all these retirements we're hitting. What do we do? Where are we going to get the next pilot? So how are we going to generate interest? It's, it's a very tough field to get into, first of all, because it's expensive. I could probably went to medical school for less money than it cost to go through and, and get all the training you need to become a pilot and the experience required in order to fly in the, in the commercial airline industry. You had to have at least 1,500 hours of flight time, and that flight time costs money. It's not just going to school. It's getting that experience somewhere, and hopefully you're lucky enough to get someone to pay you to get that experience. But yeah, that's part of you know, one of many challenges that the airline industry is facing. And with so many jobs being out there, you know, Southwest has so many openings. American Airlines has many openings. And then, of course, the private jet industry 
has a lot of openings for pilots as well. And pilots are experiencing, you know, this wide open playground. Like, wow, I can go anywhere. So it's an opportunity. It's a challenge for the industry, an opportunity for the pilots. Oh, it's a huge opportunity for the pilots. So how do we get ourselves in position to retain the talent? We want our talent to stay with us. We want our talent to be satisfied with their jobs. They can go anywhere. But why do they choose to be here? That's our challenge. That's our mission is to make this workplace some places they want to be. And everybody's having to face that. So it may be a challenge or an opportunity for the aviation industry, but you know what? It transitions to all industries, all sectors. There is a competition for top talent. We have choices. We have opportunities. And how do you become a place that people love to work? I mean, I'll even say now in my business, I've got a few clients. I could charge more, but I absolutely love working with them because I'm more vested in the long-term success of that client, knowing that in the long term, yes, the financial benefit will be there as well. So we need to have more leaders like you that are trying to create great places where people want to work. But I want to go into your backstory. When we met, you had so many beliefs in your career early on that I think so many listeners can benefit from. You talk about the challenges of coming up through your flight training, your flight experiences, and getting flight time, those hours, to prepare yourself for the next role, whether it was in the military or otherwise, is a challenge. And one of the things you shared with me is that when I'm fighting for flight time, if I can't get it, what can I do now that provides value? So tell us a little bit more about that experience, because it sounds like you've made the best of every experience, even if the opportunity is not there, you're still working towards those opportunities. Yes. So this is the opposite problem that the airline industry is experiencing now. What I had to deal with in the military early on in my flight career is, wow, I, I need flight time. I need to grab this experience. And we had an abundance of pilots and very few flight slots. So how do you get yourself into one of those flight slots? How do you get the experience that you need to become a better pilot, hone your skills, and then move on to the next level? It was tough because they were setting up an order of merit list. You know, who's next in line to train? How do you get to be the next person? Well, in the meantime, I had to find something to do. And there's a lot of jobs that are necessary to the everyday business of the company. The unit needs certain things done. And they're divvy up these jobs out to the available officers and, and members of the unit. And what I found out is I can do one of these things good. And not only good, but I can make it better. And I want to leave my mark somewhere. And so I knew that there's a lot of jobs that nobody wanted to do. And I raised my hand. I'll do it. And I'll be the best at it that I can be and buy my time. And eventually people notice, all right, we've got somebody who's here to work. They show up every day. If I wasn't on time, I was early. And I just did these jobs that really not a lot of people wanted to do. They didn't have a lot of glamorous or big rewards attached to them. It was just, hey, we need it. Someone has to do it. And I did things. Eventually, you know, leadership noticed. I got my chance to get in the cockpit. I got my flight time that I needed and I furthered my career and then just goes from there. It keeps building. That's really sound advice. I just interviewed another person where they said I was the go-to person because I would take the dirty jobs. I would do those jobs that maybe nobody else wanted. And while it may not be glamorous in the moment, you're one, gaining new skills. You're two, providing value. And three, you may be recognized 
And it could be that maybe somebody else has more experience for that opportunity. But it's about that visibility and providing value and being seen by leadership as that utility worker. We can plug and play you anywhere. And so even if you think you're just biding your time and uh, this isn't providing value, mm, this is not exactly what I hope. Career advancement is not a straight line. Sometimes you have to sidestep and do other things. At least you're always moving yourself forward. So great insight. Absolutely. And it's developing new skills along the way. But got some additional training that I wouldn't have got otherwise if I hadn't volunteered for those positions. Even those skills did me well, served me well down the line. So to piggyback onto that, just doing whatever was needed in service until the time came right, you also believe that not only developing new skills and all these things, but luck plays a part in all of that. Luck and timing presents those opportunities. Now, I'm not a betting person, and sometimes luck sounds woo-woo. I want to work. I want to check the box on all of these things. That's how I'm going to get my promotion. But all through our earlier conversation, you talked about luck and timing. Maybe tell us more about that or an experience where that works. So maybe we can believe that luck actually plays into this. Well, one of the the jobs that I, I really wanted to get into after I started my pilot career with the military was to transition from a helicopter pilot to becoming a fixed wing pilot. Helicopters are a lot, a lot of fun to fly. But fixed wing offers a lot of opportunity outside of the military. There's a lot more job opportunities. And I was planning for my retirement. This is probably around year 17, year 18 of my military career, thinking, I, I need to maybe find something where I can be more remarkable when I get outside. And the Army had a yearly assessment board where they chose from a group of helicopter pilots to transition into the fixed wing community. Well, how do I do that? And I looked at it and realized a lot of it was based on timing. Who's eligible to have a permanent change of station? Who's ready to move to a new unit? What's your skill set? What's your background? And I said, well, I'm going to make sure that I'm at least in the right place timing-wise for my career to be selected. Didn't necessarily mean I was going to be selected, but it was was going to make myself in the right spot to do that. So I called my branch manager up. And the branch manager is the person who basically determines where you're going in your career, you know, what assignment that you're going to be issued when it comes time for your move. I called the branch manager up and I said, send me to the worst possible assignment you can send me to. Unaccompanied tour, which means my family cannot go with me. But I knew that when I came back from that tour, that would be the eligibility window to start training in the fixed wing community should I be selected. So I made sure that the timing was right. I heard the pause in his voice. Are you kidding me? You want to go where? What? He said, it doesn't matter. Just the first thing you got going to an unaccompanied hard tour, it can be a BAE, which is, you know, a brigade aviation element. It's, it's a liaison. It's a pilot position, but it's not flying. And pilots really hate going to those jobs because it's not flying. Normally, people that get assigned to those are, are pilots that are, are medically unable to perform flight duty. So long. we'll put you over here. And it's kind of a timeout. You know, military aviators look at it that way. But you know, I didn't care. I felt there was value in that job. I wanted to do it and I wanted to be good at it. But most of all, I wanted to be able to say, I'm eligible to PCS during this window. And when I explained to the branch manager what I was doing and why I was doing. He said, you know, this doesn't mean you're going to get selected. I said, you're right. But at least I have the opportunity. 
anyway, I talked to some other of my friends, gave them my thought process, and they laughed at me. He said, you know, I've been putting in for fixed wing for six years straight, and I haven't been selected yet. No one gets selected on their first look. Well, the board met, results were posted, and I was the first time selecting. So it worked. Don't know if it was because, you know, my planning process, but at least made opportunity for the luck to happen. And I consider myself very fortunate to have been selected because it's a tough job to get. There's very few jobs in the fixed wing community in the Army. It's about risk-taking, but it's also being very strategic. If nothing else, you at least, like you say, presented the opportunity. If the opportunity was never there, all the work and all the other things just really didn't matter. It's one of those mindsets that, again, people are sometimes very short-term thinking, but if they look at what the outcome is that they want to achieve and reverse engineer what is necessary, sometimes we can pick and choose what we do, the odd assignments, et cetera, doing something sideways or working as an expat or something like that. They may produce then the results that you want, or at least you put some thought to it, which sets you aside from the other people. I'm interrupting this episode to offer an absolutely free networking and educational opportunity I have created, and I want you to be there. If you're a mid-level manager that loves your team and has a desire to accelerate your leadership growth, it is possible for you to become that executive leader in the next 24 months. Regardless of your area of specialty, and I know so many of you are talented, you have what it takes to be on the front line, collaborate with others, and get the job done. However, let me show you how to leverage that specialized knowledge to create solid connections with other leaders while shifting your focus from day-to-day leadership skills to long-term CEO strategy. Head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on the Drop-In CEO Collective to register for your next meeting. Now, back to the conversation. Great insight, and you were so full of so many things that I want to go into. I love alternative thinking. I'm one of those people that goes against the status quo. I'll absorb what the gurus or leaders talk about how to get ahead. But one of the things that you believe in, and I think this has been shared by many others, but I want to know how it relates to you. One of the things that you put in your bio on LinkedIn is that you believe that we shouldn't stay in our lane. We get to be subject matter experts. We get to be really good. We hope and believe we will get rewarded. But you believe, and I believe, we want to stand out. We want to be different. Don't stay in our lane. Tell us more about that belief and how it has served you. I heard that somewhere else. The way it was presented was depart your lane as often as possible. And, and why is that? Well, if you stay in your lane, I mean, if you listen to you know that advice, just stay in your lane and, and perfect one thing, then you limit your growth. I want to be versatile. I want to learn. I'm, I'm a learner. I'm a reader. I like to experience new things. And the only way to do that is to get out of your comfort zone. If you just stay there, you're not going to grow. So I want to expand you know, my knowledge base, learn new things. And not be typecast, you know, for lack of a better analogy. I wanted to be someplace else. I wanted to, to learn. And so I've always encouraged others to, you know, don't limit yourself. Don't feel that you don't have input here. You know, speak up, talk, let us know what your thoughts are, learn something new. So that's what it's really about. And I tell you, the person that I heard that from is Scott Adams, uh, is saying that the first time, at least when I heard it. 
I enjoyed listening to several of his podcasts and I've read a few of his books as well. So very influential. I agree with that. Again, it's important to take in data, but at the end of the day, we have to formulate what makes sense to us in terms of pursuing our own vision. I was in manufacturing. I was in the corporate world for over 30 years and I had the opportunity to transition out. And while I knew I had certain technical skills, so I stay in that lane a little bit. I did not go back running to corporate. I said, I got to do my own thing. I want that creative liberties. I want to bet on myself. I want to see if I can create my own business, find the clients that value what I do and what I can do to help them create a podcast, write a book. I bet on myself and not everything has worked, but I definitely did not stay in a lane. I don't fit the demographics or the mold. And yeah, not everything works, but I am so much happier for trying different things and getting out of my lane. People see me now, it's like, I can't believe how much you've changed, but maybe I've become the person that I was meant to be. So I love you sharing that advice from somebody else, because again, if it's good advice, let's share it with the world. Absolutely. So fast forward, you are now the chief pilot at an amazing company, and obviously you are still in the discovery mode, and they found value in what you can do. But in that role, and I don't know how far that is up the food chain, but it's obviously a C-suite leader. It's a significant leadership role. I would love to know from your advice, when you go into a new role or what do you see now, what keeps you up at night? What are the challenges? You've been given this amazing responsibility and you want to make it a place that people want to work for. What are some of the challenges and opportunities that you see right now in your new role? Well, I'll tell you, the aviation industry, when you, you talk about an operator, there's three required roles. And this, these are regulated by the FAA. So you have to have a director of operations, which I was a director of operations before for Wheels Up. You have to have a chief pilot. I was a prior chief pilot for Wheels Up, and now I'm one for Miragrass. And then you have to have a director of maintenance. So those are the three required positions that must be there. And those are regulatory by the FAA. Now, the, the challenges that I face and what keeps me up at night is something that we talked about earlier, is the challenges that all aviation is having to deal with right now. Is that we've got a limited talent pool, but we have such a sensational demand for for travel. So we need pilots. We need professionals with experience to get in the cockpit and they're going to be able to convey that confidence to the passenger that this is the person that you're entrusting your life to that's going to take you to your destination safely. But how do I not only get that talent, but how do I keep them here? And what I've decided is that I've learned this from military. You know, this is a, the definition of leadership when you go through the field manual for the Army is influencing others through providing purpose, direction, and motivation. That's exactly how it's laid out in the field manual. And to me, when I first learned it, I was a private first class in the Army, and I was learning the definition so I could recite it for a military board and earn my next promotion. But it was just rote memorization at the time. Really didn't have a lot of meaning, but it was repeated over and over again. And as I advanced my career in the military and I started going back and reviewing you know, military leadership and the FM and then this definition, influencing others by providing purpose, direction and motivation, it became more meaningful. You know, and that's the one thing you got to do as a CEO is 
have purpose. Provide purpose for your people. What is that? You know, why does our company even exist? And so I start there is I want pilots to know what our purpose is. Why does our company exist? And then I want them to find their own purpose inside of that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, I do it because I want to provide for my family. I want to be able to you know, reach my next goal, which is maybe it is go fly for Southwest Airlines. Maybe it's to go fly for Delta Airlines, be an international captain flying New York to Paris, France, you know, once a week. They can do that and they can start here. They can do it through us where they can stay here. Ultimately, I, I hope they choose to stay with me at Miragrass and, and we make this company meet the purpose and the direction of, of, the, of our CEO and owner group. But that's the challenge. That's what keeps me up at night. How do I do that? How do I make people want to stay here? And w- one of my thoughts of many is, is, well, it starts with training. It starts with establishing that purpose first and then training the people the way we operate and loving their job. What do you like to do? And I ask you this question is, do you love what you do? Yeah. Do you love what you do? You do. I see you shaking your head. And are you good at what you do? Pretty good. People keep hiring me. (laughs) Well, we love things that we are good at. And it's true for most everything except for golf. I, I think that's the only one that doesn't hold true. I absolutely stink at golf, but I still love it. But there are a few things that I don't really like that well. And I think about those things that I don't really care for too much. I'm not very good at those things. But the things that I'm good at, I absolutely love. So I I want the pilots that come here to work at Miragrass, work at this company. I want them to be good at their job. And the only way to be good at it is to train them intently and show them everything, have the checklist out for them. We're going to make this job so easy that, man, you don't only have to think that hard to come do this job and they're going to love it. And when they love their job, they're going to be good at it. That's what we want to do. I see what you say, though, is so much more. You want to leave an impact, leave your legacy, leave the company's legacy and make an impression on this top talent in the aviation industry. And maybe they take your experience and move it someplace else, but at least you guys become memorable as a part of their journey to achieve their aviation goals. I think that's so impactful with what you said. Again, you're going to do the best to keep them, but even if they leave, you will be memorable. And I think that's an amazing, and so many leaders have to learn from that. It's not just a transaction. You help them in the discovery process on what their purpose is and become the best pilots in the easiest and most effective way. Truly a noble cause. (laughs) We've got to bring this to a close. This has been a great conversation. I am so grateful. I reached out to the network, found you. I wish you a lot of success in having that impact and getting and retaining top talent for you and the industry. But any last closing thoughts for C-suite leaders of today or tomorrow? What can they take away or last thoughts that you may have for them so that we can leave feeling really nourished and valuing this conversation? I guess the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is is listening to previous versions or previous podcasts of yours, by the way. In fact, it was the last and latest one. Stephen Blue brought it up when he was talking about culture. And, and culture is important. I've talked about it at my previous employment and I've talked about it at my current employment. Is that we need to foster that culture that we want. And, and the way to do that is to live it. We want others to be like us. 
We want like people. We want like-minded folks. We want people that have the same values and the same purpose. What it is is that you have truly embodied what it means to build a great culture in a company. Now, mind you, we may have different thoughts, but at the core of everything we do as leaders, it's about having those values, creating a sense of purpose and moving people forward. People are smart. They know their job, but we need to pave a way to say, these are our ways of acting. These are our values. We're going to move forward together. We're going to support you in the good and the bad. That builds a collaborative culture for which people might say it's safe to take risks, go for those opportunities, and people want to stay. So I think you're addressing culture being so significant in what we do as leaders is probably at the foundation of creating great work environments and great results. Absolutely. And in the aviation world, you know, part of the job is, you know, we're often away from our families because we're traveling, taking other people to their destinations, to where they want to be, to be with their families. It's a good feeling to be part of that. But I look after my pilots as well. I want them to feel loved, to feel wanted, to feel appreciated, and know that we care about their well-being. And once we've established that culture and and fostered it, then we're going to have more buy-in and we'll be more successful because of that. This has been an amazing interview. Charles, I am so grateful that I found you. I want to wish you, the company you work with, all the pilots in your care. I want to wish you all amazing success. Thank you for being a great guest and dropping in. Take care. Thank you, Deb. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.